0: Well, we are in the middle of a series called Healthy: Discovering the Connection Between Faith and Health. We've talked for a few weeks here, and we're right in the middle, and and this is not this is not a series about how to eat better or exercise more, because the truth is, there are much better, smarter people than I to tell you about that. It, they're called Google. Okay? So if you want to do that, just Google that. Now, but but for this series, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about deep theological truths that have relevance, that have connection, that impact how we think and act in regards to our health. And and I know, and, and I say this every week, and it's important, I know, I am no excellent example and paragon of health. I acknowledge that. And the truth is, I'm a guy who's struggling with his health and struggling making good eating decisions and exercise decisions and, and have had some rough diagnosis, diagnoses from the doctor, and so I'm struggling along with you on this. And so that's one of the things I've enjoyed about this series is that I can learn and I can challenge myself to grow a little bit. And hopefully, if you've been around here, then you've been challenged a little bit to grow and think a little differently about your faith. So when it comes to my health, the truth is I've had far more failures than successes but one period where i was really successful was about 4 years ago and it was it was summertime i it had been about like 6 8 months since i had been diagnosed with diabetes and that kind of rocked my world am my thinking, and, and I, was, I was making good eating choices, I was losing weight, and as summer approached, I decided I wanted to train for a half marathon. I'm training for another one now, I've done a few marathons and a ton of halves, and, and I decided that I wanted to train for a half again. So, so I started running, and, and I had this beautiful path out by our old house, out in Elm Creek Park, if you know that park, beautiful path, and I had run this path countless times over the years. But that summer was different. That summer was different because something had come upon me and over me where I was convicted and convinced, without a doubt, that God was telling me to exercise. Now, I had never experienced that level of conviction in the past, and I have not since, but that summer, a phrase stuck in my head, and as I ran, step after step, I said, this is what obedience looks like. For me today, this is what obedience looks like. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't believe that it's a sin if you eat a cheeseburger, or you're disobeying God if you don't work out, and if anyone tries to sell you that, just walk away, okay? but there is something connected about health and obedience. And that summer, for about four months, I was on to something. I didn't fully understand it, but I was on to something, this idea that this, for me today, step by step, this is what obedience looks like. I haven't had a summer since then. I've done other races. I've trained for other runs, but I haven't had a summer quite like that. And so, so I even wrestle with understanding what is this connection between health and obedience? What, how do those two connect? Well, today we're going to look at a passage that helps us understand a little bit about how health and obedience are interrelated, how they're connected. And so this passage, this is one of Jesus' parables. And since it's summer, it means I can kind of experiment with some different things with preaching, so I'm gonna do a few things differently today. But well, how we're gonna look at this passage, and we're gonna do that by also talking about how do you understand parables in general. So I'm gonna give you a couple easy tools that you can use whenever you run across one of Jesus' parables. You're you're reading the Bible. You hear it on the radio. You're listening to your audio Bible. Someone just tells it. Here are some principles that you can use to understand any parable, and we're going to use that to understand our parable today. So I'm not going to give much context because we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is one of Jesus' parables. And it's a little long, so you're going to have to hang with me. If you want to follow along, if you brought your Bible, if you brought your app, you want to open or flip, um, it's Matthew 25. It'll also be up on the screen, so it's, it'll be Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. And so if you want to follow along, you're welcome to do that. Again, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, and it's a little long, so sit back, listen, read, whatever learning modality works for you, and here we go. And this is, again, this is Jesus talking. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To the other, two bags of gold. And to another one, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once And put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received, received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worth, worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." That's a, da- a real downer of a way to end a parable, but, but there you go. So how do we understand this? How do we make sense of this parable? And then how in the world does it, under- does it relate to our health, okay? So I want to give you a couple principles about how to understand parables, and we're going to use this one as our case study. So here's Jesus, here's Jesus teaching. So there's white Jesus, because you know he was white, clearly, okay? So there's white Jesus, he's teaching the crowds, and, and you see, see his hands, he's going, ew. okay? No, I, I don't know, he's just like, I have one point. I don't know what Jesus is doing right there, but there you go, so here is some ideas about how to understand parables. First, parables usually have one main point no matter how long the parable is, it usually has one main point. You don't need to overcomplicate parables. You don't need to find symbolism in everything in the parable. That's not really how they function, that's not how they were written, how they were spoken. Parables have one main point. So whenever you read one, you ask, so what's the main point of this? Okay. But we're not gonna do that yet. Okay, we're not going to do that because we need to understand the parable a little bit more before we can start addressing what's our one main point. So if you're in one of our life groups, one of our weekly Bible studies that we do, you know, we're going to do some good observation because, you know, to understand a text, you've got to do good observation first. And then you can get to your interpretation and application. So that's what we're going to do. So first, we're going to look at our first principle of how to observe and understand parables, okay? So the first one is you look at the beginning. Look at the beginning of the parable and ask yourself two questions. Who is Jesus talking to, and what's he talking about? Nearly every parable explains, as you read the gospel, the little paragraph before the parable in almost every case, we'll tell you who Jesus is talking to and then what, they're, what he is about to talk about. Okay. So, so for this one, let's go back to the beginning of the parable. Okay. If we go back, we go back to verse 14. We have to go back to the beginning, and it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Again, well, okay, that means that the explanation is further back. He's making a second or, in this case, even a third point that Jesus is making a thir- third point in his selection of parables. So we have to go back further. So Bible, you like flip, 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 and, you, and a great way if you've got a red letter Bible or a red letter app, just look, at, look for the ending of the red letters. Just keep going. Keep going. For here, we have to flip back a whole chapter, back to chapter 24, and we run across the following paragraph, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The this that he referred to, Jesus had just talked about the destruction of the temple, which was the major building, the major center of Jerusalem. And he had just talked about its destruction. So the disciples come up and ask him a question. So here's where we're going to try something a little different. It's summertime. We're going to explore. Are are you willing to experiment a bit with me? Okay. We're going to do some class discussion here. So I want you to turn to somebody, anybody around you, and answer those two questions. Who was Jesus talking to? And I'll leave this up so you can use it. Who was Jesus talking to? And what were they talking about? Okay. Who was he talking to? What were they? Yeah, go ahead. Find anyone around you. Let's go ahead and pull, put the verse back up on the screen so you can turn to it for reference. There you go. Hmm. Man, pastor's making us think this morning. Dang it. Okay, so it says right there that the disciples came to him, so he's talking to disciples. And particularly, this is important because Jesus has, generally speaking, two big audiences. Christians, usually represented by the disciples, and non-Christians, usually represented by the crowds. There's sort of a third group, which are the Pharisees, and kind of that's when he's talking to religious leaders. So here he's talking to Christians. So these are parables toward, for Christians, okay? Second, what's he talking about? And he says it right there. They ask him a qu- the question about the destruction of this temple, but then you're coming and the end of the age. So did, did, did you catch it? Did you catch those? Yeah. So he's t- they're talking about end times, and when Je- Jesus has alluded to him leaving and coming back, and so they want to ask him about the end times. So that's the first thing you have to understand about this parable about the five bags, two bags, one bag. This is fundamentally spe- spoken to Christians and fundamentally spoken about the end times. So once you know that, then we can go back and hit our second big principle to understand is first you look at the beginning, second you look at the ending. How does the story end? And with us, for, the, for this parable we have, this parable ends with a, one of the servants getting thrown out of the house to some place that sounds really miserable. Okay? So here's the quick overview. Owner puts servants in charge of money. Two of the, and then leaves, and then he comes back. Two of the servants, they double his money. One of the servants was afraid, and he just returned the one bag of gold. Didn't, didn't double it, didn't lose it either. He just returned it. The, the folks who doubled their money, they were praised and rewarded. And the person who was afraid of the master and just gave him back what he first entrusted to him, he was punished and kicked out of the house out of the master's blessings. So there, there's the interview, So or, or there's the overview. Let's look at the last few, few sentences or so to review. Because remember, we have to look at the ending. We start with the beginning, then we look at the ending. Here we go. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, Even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what do we see with this? What do we do with this? Well, fundamentally, remember, this parable is about the end times, particularly. Remember, did you see sort of the parallel in the parable is the man entrusted his servants with stuff left, Jesus died and left and rose to heaven, and then came back eventually, just like Jesus promised, Jesus will come back. And then he settled accounts. So he went to all of his servants and said, okay, tell me what you've done with what I've left you, what I've put you in charge of. That, the the biblical term for that is something called stewardship. Because those those people, they were also called stewards of a household. So stewardship is this concept of taking care of God's stuff. It's kind of like if you've ever had to borrow a tool from a neighbor. You go over, it's fall, you go over and borrow a rake. You take it and you're starting to work on it. It's not your rake. And if you bust it, you're going to have to go to Home Depot and get another one. So you want to at least take good care of it. You're not going to be like whacking it on trees or whacking it on kids. or No, you're not going to do any of that. Okay? You're, you're going to at least try to take care of the rake because it's not yours. And your neighbor entrusted it to you. So how we treat the stuff God entrusts to us is stewardship. And so what we see in this is God has an expectation for us about what we do with the stuff he gives us. God has an expectation. And that expectation is, isn't is just that like, we return the rake. That's kind of what the, the guy with one bag of gold did. Here's the bag of gold and hand it back to him. No, God actually expects us to multiply what he gives us. So it's like handing, we borrow the rake, and then after we're done, we clean it and get all that like grimy, squished worms off the bottom, and and we, we polish it all up and get it all nice and clean. So we actually return a better rake than we borrowed. That's a pretty challenging thing. If you think about it, think about the things God has given you. And the challenge to actually return it when God returns, we, in a sense, return the stuff to him better, fuller, doubled in value. That's what stewardship is. It's not just making sure you don't break your neighbor's rake. That's not stewardship. That's not following God and, and being entrusted with stuff from God. No. Stewardship is actually multiplying what God gives you into more. Now, what more looks like varies depending on whatever God has blessed you with. But the principle is God expects us to multiply, to produce more out of the gifts he gives us. So that's, that's the first thing that we see from the end of this par- parable is that God expected his, or the, the man expected his servants to multiply the goods. And then the second thing we learn is the price, the cost of not being a good steward is the difference between receiving blessings from God, being in his presence, and being kicked out of his presence. And actually, not even not receiving blessings, but getting stuff taken away from you. That that is the difference in stewardship. That God rewards when we manage well and we multiply and we, we use our stuff and ourselves and our careers and our families and our church and our skills when we use them for more than just they are. God wants to see us use it for more. So let's go back to this idea of parables usually have one point right at the top of the screen there. Parables have one point. Okay. And so how would you maybe describe this one? Well, one way to put it might be whatever God gives us, we have to manage it well, which means multiply it. We have to manage it well, which means we multiply the blessings that God gives us. So what does this parable have to do with health? What does this parable have to do with our bodies? Well, if you were here last week, then you heard me read a verse out of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus Christ died. He paid a price to redeem you, and so that's where we started. And if you weren't here last week, that sermon's up online, Um, go go for it, listen to it, catch up, and learn, because that's an important thing, because that's where stewardship begins. Stewardship begins by acknowledging that nothing we have is ours. The money in your bank account, not yours, that's God's. The house you live in, not yours, it's your parents. No, I'm kidding, it's God's, okay? The body you walk around in, not yours. It's God's. God owns it all. That's the first principle of stewardship. Because if you ever begin to believe that you have earned it, you deserve it, it is mine, you can do whatever the heck you want with it. If you want to break your rake, you can break your rake. But it's not ours. So that's where stewardship begins and that's where stewardship or managing or taking care of our body begins in understanding that our body is not our own. It's God's. And so health, health, yes, it's a matter of health and fitness and, and long life and being able to play with your kids and play with your grandkids and all of that. And, but health is also a matter of stewardship. Health is a matter of stewardship. So God owns our body. If we take this parable, some of the big, big picture principles out of this parable, God owns our body. We're going to borrow that from 1 Corinthians 6. But we are responsible to manage our bodies. We are accountable to God. God on how we treat our bodies, <laughs> gulp, <laughs> and we will be rewarded or punished somehow on how well we treat our bodies. And now again, I do not believe this is a heaven or hell thing. That is, that is I do not believe that is the point of this parable because the Bible is abundantly clear. Where you spend eternity is based solely on what you do with Jesus Christ, not your body. So I don't know what it looks like to receive blessings and receive punishments, Um, but the parable's pretty clear about it, that it will happen. So if we take those four ideas that God owns our body, we're responsible to take care of our body, okay? We're accountable to God for how we care for our body, and at some point in some way, we will be punished or rewarded based on how well we take care of our bodies. Given those four things, what does it look like in a person's life? What does it look like in my life where I haven't spent a whole lot of i taking care of my body. What does it look like other than pretty heavy? So what does it look like? Well, first it means I've got a lot of growing to do. I've got some obedience I need to step into. I need to capture back this idea of this is what obedience looks like. I've even wondered sometimes how, how life-changing it would be if instead of the path, the steps along the path while I'm running, and with each step I say, this is what obedience looks like. What if it became each step into the kitchen becomes, this is what obedience looks like? It's a great idea that I, I want to be able to open my heart to that. I haven't quite experienced that same level of conviction with the kitchen, but I think that would radically transform how I eat and what I eat. So that's one of my goals. And, um, but I'm, what I'm really struck with is how this parable calls the managers not just to not lose the money, because that's what you would think, wouldn't it? Like if I give my money to an investment firm, I sure hope they don't lose it. At bottom line, I at least want my money back. But that's, no, not not even a good good 4%, a good 10% on a good stock here. No, these guys doubled the money. So I'm struck on how managers, uh, how the managers in this parable doubled their money. And I think about what does that look like for us with our physical bodies? What does it look like to double our money? Well, for me, I think it's one of the reasons why I like to train people to run half marathons and marathons. And over the years, like, I've done it, and then I, I've, I've trained. Prior to this summer, I've trained about four or five other people, and, and I, it's amazing to watch someone accomplish something that they never thought they could do. And, and this summer, we've got about a half a dozen folks training for a half marathon, and, and, and I know, like, I'm out of shape, and I eat kind of cruddy foods, and, and I know, and, and I'm way overweight. And, um, but if I can somehow make my body, my ability to run a long distance without puking, if I could make that ability multiply to other people, then maybe, like, possibly I'm doing something right. Maybe I'm not screwing up as much as I feel I I am often. And, And that's my way. I don't know what it looks like for you, but for me, I want to multiply some of these first-time runners, and show them what they could accomplish with the right training and smart running. And so, so I like to think that, that there, are, there are all kinds of little roads runners out there in California and, and Minnesota, and that my body, somehow, I've been able to double its profit by helping some other folks. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it would look like for, to think about your body in terms of multiplying it. Now, i do perfectly fine multiplying my waistline. That one I've got down really well. <laughs> don't think that's what God had in mind. So, so that would be my encouragement for you. One is to think of health as stewardship, as taking care of something that isn't yours. And then the second one is begin to think about how can you use your physical body, whether it's health or exercise, maybe some of you are are good at that. How can you use that to multiply the impact to other people? Maybe your body has some amazing skills. Maybe you can fix things. I cannot. Maybe you are artistic. I am not. (laughs) Maybe you've got a green thumb. I do not. (laughs) So there are all kinds of things that you can do with your body that can multiply and bless others and bring hope and healing into other people's lives and other people's families and other people's bodies. So that's my desire, that we as a church are a church that looks to use what God has given us in all of our differences and multiply them for the good of other people. Join me in prayer. God, you have entrusted to us everything in our lives from our families to our money to our house to our jobs to our bodies. Lord, you have entrusted that to us. God, I, I confess for myself and on behalf of the River Life family, we haven't always treated our bodies well. We have not taken care of what you have entrusted to us. God, so we need your help. We need your help to be good stewards, good managers, caretakers of this body that you've given to us for 80 or so years. Lord, let us us take care of it first with what we eat, how we move, we exercise, Lord. and, And also let us use it to double our impact on our world around us to double the hope that we have to offer others, to double the healing that we have to offer to others. Lord, to double the impact on the Twin Cities. God, we need your help, man, because we cannot do this. Lord, so please, we, we, we pray for your help, the empowering of your Holy Spirit to do what we can't. Lord, the, the courage and the strength to do hard things. And so we rest in you, we turn to you, we rely on you. So thank you, Lord. I I thank you, and, and I thank you for all the people here. And I thank you that you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly who we are. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.